Next step number 724, April 21st, 2022. Hi there, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries. Thanks for tuning into the next step with Father Vodskan. We are the voice of Armadoxy, a weekly podcast started in 2008 that looks at life through the lens of Armenian Orthodoxy. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. In these weekly episodes, you will find that Father Vodskan's messages are timely thought-provoking, and based on the solid principles of Christ's love, faith, and hope. Now, let's get ready to take the next step. That is the way the first Christian said it. Christ is risen from the grave. Wow! It should be a wow, because, you know, when it gets beyond just the superficial words and you realize what you're saying, it's got to be, wow, death has been conquered. No more sting. Wow. Yeah. Well, usually we just say happy Easter. We're done with it. But the early Christians used to say it that way. Christ is risen. Christos ariavi merelots. And that's how I start off today because we're going to be talking about another word. That all connects together, of course. You know, all the dots connect. But I'm going to talk about another way of saying something, and that's called tsunduku. I think I said it right. Tsunduko. Tsunduku. Okay. It's T-S, and we Armenians know how to pronounce that T-S. It's T-S-U-N-D-O-K-U. Tsundoku. I'm going to say it that way. Okay. It is a Japanese word, and it is the act, listen to this, the act of letting books pile up without reading them. Can you imagine? They actually have a word that means, you know, the act of letting books pile up without reading them. Well, there must be a lot of incidents of that. All right, let me see some hands. I'll I'll raise my hands. Letting books pile up without reading them. And there's a unique word for it. Tsundoku. Now think about it. Resurrection. (laughs) How often has that occurred? How often has that occurred? And yet we have a unique word for it, right? Resurrection. Yeah, can you imagine that word? We have that word. Resurrection. Harutyun. Somebody who dies and come back, comes back to life. I mean, like, what are the occurrences of this? It's a, it's a unique singularity. It's a, it's a singular event, right? Resurrection. Happened to Jesus Christ. And so we have a word, resurrection. Tsunduku, now this is something that a lot of people can relate to. In fact, this all connects, I'm going to make it connect, okay? We're going to connect these dots. Because I have this problem. I have a lot of books. And you know what? One of my biggest problems has been that I don't know what to do with them. Okay, I had books after I graduated college. I had a lot of textbooks, of course. But I also had a lot of interesting reading books. 
And I remember back in the, right after I graduated, a couple years after I graduated, I want to say, I sent over several boxes of books to St. Nersa Seminary. This is back when it was in New Rochelle. And they were, they were unique books about theology, about things that I had studied in psychology and thought that they would find a home at the Saint Nersa, in the St. Nersa's library. And um, since that time, I still have all kinds of books. And they're all around me. Sometimes they're a little overwhelming because, you know, you come into your room and there they are. I remember there was a, a, a Seinfeld episode, right, where he talks about, like, what's the deal with books? You know, like people who collect books, why do you have libraries? Well, it's a good one. It's a good question, you know. Like, if you have libraries, why do you collect books? Well, then I, I think about that and I look around at my books and I realize that, yeah, there are some books that you're probably going to find in, in libraries. But there are a lot of books that I have that you won't find in libraries. In particular, those books that are related to Armenian issues, Armenian genocide issues, and of course to Armenian theology, Armenian church theology. And so I have some standards that are still in front of me from, from my college days, things like Hans Kung's The Church. I mean, you know, there's a Catholic theologian talking about the church. And that... I, I use it like a reference. My genocide books I use as reference, especially during April month. I get called out to give speeches and talks at different schools in different places. So these are reference reference books. You know, I pull out small little passages from here and there and I use them. And, and you know, some of these books have a lot of memories for me. I have just different collections too. Like, for instance, my Martin Luther King Jr., collection i have i have books that you can't find other places like for instance his prayers a book of his prayers okay you, you can't find this in the libraries i've looked you can't find these things well and then of course the genocide collection that i have armenian genocide studies anthropologically sociologically sure you can find them here and there but by the time you wanted to access them they're just good to have in your library. I have church fathers. I have like an in incredible selection of church father, uh, father's material in Armenian that I use as reference. So these books are very, very special and precious to me. But then again, I look at some of these books and you say, okay, you know, uh, we're not going to get around to reading these. <laughs> life is limited. Life is short. And it, even if you have a, a longer time, your eyes give out. And so, sunduku, sunduku, whatever the word is, it describes me. I will not have enough time to read all the books that I have. So what do you do with them? A few years back, I went to St. Narcissus and I actually went into the library. Now the new one, not in New Rochelle, but the one in Armonk went into the library, and there they were. There were a few books on the shelves. Once, if I remember right, I even found one that had like little scribbles or markings that I had made, and you know, I was happy that they had made it to the shelves. And yet, speaking with the librarian there, I know that there was a lot that were just left behind and were unable to because books, just like there's just so many that you can have. You can't have uh, multiple copies of these things, and that's what libraries do. They do. They they take care of making sure that there is a copy there, but also distributing the extra copies. I know the library we have at our diocese. Every day we have books that come in, and we pass out to the people because you know there's just so much space, and so it is with my collection. 
There are books that you're never going to get around to it. There's um, a book, The Gulag Akapelico. This is by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It sits in front of me. I've never gotten around to finishing it. I've read a few times I've picked it up. And it is precious to me because Solzhenitsyn being a Soviet dissident and writing about the gulags and uh, just his spirituality, where he comes from, somebody I look up to, somebody I admire for his writings, for his ability to write. And yet you look at the book and you say, okay, am I going to get around to this? So what do you do with these books? Uh, Yeah, libraries are good. Good places to unload because whatever they don't put on their shelves they also distribute whether it's through sales um, or just passing out but Easter Sunday I told you I'm going to make it all fit Easter Sunday this was the first time in 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 my life that I had to I was separated from family well I shouldn't say that in seminary I was separated right I was in Armenia, and family was in America, but in essence, it was our married life, okay? And uh, this year, I was sent out to Rancho Mirage, a beautiful church, St. Garabed, Armenian church, where I did the Easter services, and because of everything going on, just life situation, we were all in different parts of the country, and so we celebrated our Easter one week before and that's fine with me. You know me. Like I, It's not about the Easter day. It's about the Easter celebration. So we celebrated Easter on Palm Sunday as a family. But here's the deal. On Easter Sunday, my, my wife and uh, two of my sons, they drove out to Rancho Mirage. And we were able to celebrate the feast of Easter together. Like I, I did Easter week, week there, but then they came and they joined me. So now we're going to have Easter celebration, Easter meal. Where are we going to do it? We went to a place called Gus's Barbecue. I mean, is there anything more Armenian Orthodox than that? <laughs> Eating Gus's Barbecue on Easter Sunday? Well... Just think about it and you say, well, what are you doing, a cowboy or what? No, think about it. You've just finished this 50-day period of vegan dieting, right? Lenten period. Vegan. I mean, I'm talking no meat, no animal products. Is there anything cooler than going to a barbecue on Easter Sunday? So my, my, my son's picked out this place, Gus's Barbecue. It's in a town called Claremont because... There was a Coachella festival, and this was kind of cool, too. We did our Badarak, we did our Divine Liturgy out at Rancho Mirage, and just a few miles onward was the big annual Coachella festival. And uh, we made a pronouncement of resurrection out in the valley, like you want to talk about an Armenian people. And this was the challenge that I made to the people in the in the congregation. I said, think about it. Resurrection's not just 2,000 years ago, but you have resurrected. You are sitting here. And now, if you understand what resurrection is, you don't need to look at Jesus alone. You need to look at Jesus' children, which is you. You are alive. And so we made this challenge, like, can we make enough noise, especially to, to pray, to show that, you know, hey, we're alive, just as Coachella Coachella down the street, you know, thousands and thousands of people assembling to listen to music. Well, we've got this music. Let's share it with the world. So, you know, we did this on Easter Sunday, and then afterwards we went to barbecue. 
And what do I see? There is a bookstore there. A bookstore that had a rack of discounted books, used books. So I said, whoa, i got to check this out. And sure enough, yeah, I know with all the books that I have, I found a few books that I wanted. One of which was, um, <laughs> of all things, the Quakers, the a book of... Um, a book from a peace conference that the Quakers had. And that's an interesting. One day I'll share that with you too, because I do want it. I got it specifically to share it with you. But then I went and I asked the lady who was working there, what are these books? Why is there clearance? Why are you getting? And then she told me, this is a place in Claremont that collects books for prisoners. Prisoners make requests of types of books that they want, and these people supply those books. And I said, wow, now I have a place for my books. I mean, you talk about Easter all coming together. I mean, on Easter, we're having a barbecue in a place called Claremont. Well, look at that. I found a place to resurrect those books, to give a new life for those books, and for me to get rid of Tsunduko, right? And less books to read. And, you know, it's really beautiful how things kind of like flow and to be able to celebrate that flow of life. That's why I'm sharing it with you, because this all comes together with where we are this week. When you think about, I I spoke briefly about genocide, right, that I have these books and we, we talk about genocide in the past tense, but here we are on the verge of commemorating April 24th again. And this is really one of those most bizarre, bizarre times in our lives. Several years ago, in the year 2015, the Armenian Church decided to canonize the martyrs of 1915. And in so doing, we proclaimed them because saints, canonized saints, are victors in Christ. In other words, we are no longer victims but we are victors. And in fact, when you look at us, whether it's in Coachella or anywhere else, if you're alive and you're Armenian, that's like a victory because you were not supposed to be there. I mean, it's just such a simple thing. The other day in, in um, Rancho Mirage at St. Garabit, I've got a church full of people who have come for Easter celebration. And when you think about it, most of them being Armenian ethnically, just look around. And I said, here is the miracle. You're not supposed to be here. You weren't supposed to be here. That's the fact. I mean, check check your pulse. It's really easy if you want to do this experiment. You can do it while you're listening to me right now. Just take your fingers. Do not use your thumb because sometimes it gives you a false pulse, right? It has its own pulse. So use your index finger, your middle finger, and check your pulse either on your wrist or on your um, near your throat. If you feel something, you're alive. And here's the magic thing about that. If you don't feel something, well, you're not going to feel much of anything else. <laughs> it means you're dead, right? And those people that are dead... Don't feel. They don't have anything. It's over. The body has finished. This little, small little temple for your soul has, has finished its purpose. It's over, right? But if you do have a pulse, it means you're alive. And that in itself 
is a miracle. Because when you think that you weren't supposed to be there, I mean, you know what the Turks said? This was an actual quote made by the Turks. That there would be one Armenian left, and they would put that Armenian on display in a museum. Okay? One Armenian left, and that Armenian in a museum. Now, we're alive! So, here we are. Like, in other words, we confounded your plan. (laughs) There is a resurrection. You don't need to look everywhere else. You don't need to look in Jerusalem. You need to look at the resurrection in your life. The idea that you are creating, you are producing, that you're out there. And, And, you know, the creation takes place in the church. This is one of the the, those mis, misguided representations. I love, I love uh, William Soroyan's piece. Everybody loves it. I know people who have it on their walls. They have it on their keychains. They carry it in their wallet. They have it as the as the the front piece of their phone. You know, I should like to see any power destroy Armenians and da blah blah blah. And in the end, see if two or three will not gather and create a new Armenian. We we love it. Oh yeah 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 yeah. It's so fantastic. Hold on hold on. Mr. Soroyan, excuse me, with all due respect, because I do respect him, I I love his work, I read his work, but hold on, where do those Armenians meet? That's the question everybody forgets. That's the part of the statement that's not made by William Soroyan. So let me add it to it. After the genocide, there was only one place where Armenians would meet. They wouldn't meet out in the desert. They wouldn't meet out in in big hotel rooms. They wouldn't meet at convention centers. No, they would meet at the church. And it was only in the church that different Armenians from different areas of the ruins of Armenia would get together to see the phoenix rise. It's only in a church where you might see somebody from Sebastia come and meet with somebody from Tomarza. It's only in the church where you'd see somebody from Adana walking up and seeing somebody from Erzurum and talking to them. Somebody from Gars coming together with somebody from Balu and talking and sharing their stories. And that's what happened after the genocide. Wherever Armenians went, they created their churches. Why? Because this was the one place that gave them meaning. It was the one place that connected them with the past and with a future. Because in that church, they would meet with one another and they would meet and go and talk with one another and create what Saroyan calls the new Armenia. That's how simple it is. I've had the good fortune of being in charge of three of those parishes. And I, I've got to tell you, one in uh, Cupertino, one in Pasadena, and one in uh, 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 Glendale. Last 35 years I did that. And that was one of the most miraculous things in my life. The idea that Armenians from different places, different backgrounds got together and they created, they created that new Armenia that was filled with faith, with a centrality of Christ in their lives. That's what our church did and does, should be doing. So I'm very happy that I was able to witness that. And I always talk about the necessity to understand that 
if Saroyan's talking about a new Armenia, it's got to take place someplace. It just doesn't happen virtually. It happens physically. And our church has been the conduit, has been the place where those where those miracles have happened. And we saw it again this past weekend in all the churches. At our diocese at St. Leon's Cathedral, we had about 10,000 people. Yeah, no, yeah, you heard that right, about 10,000. Just thousands of people outside, inside, hanging on the rafters. That's a group of people that was supposed to be only one left in a museum, okay? Now you tell me, is that resurrection or what? All right, if you have that power of resurrection, when we come back after the song today, I'm going to come back and share with you what our next step is going to be. Because I've, I've shared this with you many times as far, as far as a video. I'm going to share it with you today in this message as we get as we prepare for April 24th. As we do every week, we take a little bit of time to play a song, to give us a little bit of time to relax. Go get our cup of coffee. If you're driving, just keep driving, okay, and enjoy. <laughs> and I'll be back in a few moments, and we'll continue on this edition of The Next Step. Here's today's pick.
folk dance melodies from Abaran. That is, that's, hey, it's a catchy tune, isn't it? I wanted to play something upbeat, you know, especially it's very difficult uh, when you go from a feast of resurrection to a commemoration of death. And I refuse to play that game. I want to keep it a resurrection theme. Yes, even on April 24th, if you can believe that. So it's kind of like a prelude to what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. Folk Dances of Abaran, that is off of an album that a dear friend gave me, Vahe gave me several years ago. I keep these albums close to me because they are all about joy. They're about Armenians, about that that um, desire and the ability to live and to celebrate that life. And I, I think it came through in that in that tune, didn't it? I have a link on today's show notes, and as I always tell you, support the artists that provide us this beautiful music. Back to our show. The last several weeks I've been talking about issues of peace and how do we attain peace, especially when this war is taking place in view of all of us. And I shared with you some ideas that, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, when we had Vietnam happening and American participation in a part of the world which we didn't understand. And then later this this uh, century, we saw Afghanistan. We didn't know what was going on. We heard about places like Iraq. And, you know, for the most part, Americans were oblivious to the Middle East till about the 70s and 80s of last century. But certainly places like Afghanistan, Afghanistan, we still don't understand. And all we know is that for 20 years we were out there. And um, then last year we took our troops out. And it's just all kinds of stuff going on that connects to issues of war. And when there's war, you have questions of peace. Like, why can't we attain peace? Why are we always talking about these metaphors that lead us to war? about who has the biggest stick, who has the biggest weapon, who can overcome the other with more and more weapons. This morning I heard the President of the United States talking about we are going to send more and more weapons, and weapons are, of course, the way that we protect ourselves, or so we say, until we understand that those weapons can be used violently too. Uh, you have issues that most of the weapons that were purchased and uh, paid for to um protect the interests in Afghanistan were left there and were then used by people who picked up those weapons to strike out against others. And as Jesus says, you know, put away your sword. The sword will only bring more violence. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And it's not like Jesus is telling you as a threat. He's just stating an axiom. A reality of life. Hey, if you want to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. That's that's the that's the language that you're speaking. So, of course, follow it out. So, if that's true, then why aren't we talking about a language of peace? Can we do that? Is it is it possible? 
And I'm sure we're not the first people that have thought about it. And neither was it in Vietnam. But I brought up the Vietnam issue because during the 60s, a period when I grew up, the 60s and the 70s in particular, there was these protest movements and songs of protest that would inspire generations to get up and and rally for peace. And certainly, I mean, when you read, you know, things like Leo Tolstoy and you... Um, you realize that, you know, just a hundred years before that, before Vietnam, a hundred years before that. And when you go back to the Revolutionary War in America, so another hundred years before that. And then you go back to the time of uh, Napoleon and you go back to the the conquerors and, and to Genghis Khan and all the things that are happening. You realize that our whole history, our whole life history is about one killing after the next. And you go all the way back to the time of Cain and Abel and you've got these two brothers fighting it out, right? And you go, whoa, is there better ways of solving it? Of course, when you look at the Cain and Abel story, you, you have to walk away with some kind of questions like, wait a minute, God accepted the offering of a meat, but not vegetables. So what's the problem here? Like, why, why was one accepted and the other wasn't? Why would why did jealousy pull up his head? Too many questions about it. And too much coming out of scripture. Like you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is everybody justifying it with by looking at scripture? And I've been seeing this for the last couple months, most notably when the patriarch of Moscow, Kirill, got up and he protected Putin. You had um, you had Christians writing editorials and rebutting and, and saying that, you know, in the Bible it says this and this and this. Wait a minute. Back off. Aren't there certain truths that transcend the Bible? <gasps> Uh-oh, did I say something wrong? No, I'm not saying something wrong. Aren't there some certain truths that transcend the Bible's writings? In other words, don't we know that it's just wrong to kill? Do you need a scriptural passage to tell you that it's wrong to kill? And it comes back down to this very basic question I asked you a few weeks ago. Who would Jesus bomb? Put Jesus in one of those bombers that's flying over Ukraine and he spots a group of a convoy of Russians there and he spots a a building filled with Ukrainians. Which one is he gonna bomb? They're both his children. He's not gonna bomb anybody. God if we believe in God as our heavenly father. Why do we think he's going to pick sides? This is the whole problem with the whole Old Testament. They've got you believing that God's picking sides, that there are chosen people, that there are people who are bad people. And so the Red Sea gets parted and a certain group of people get out while another people, they, they, um, they drown. So whose God is it? Whose God is more powerful? These are all the things that Jesus said, this is not what we're talking about. He says the kingdom of God is available for you right now. And it's accessible by everybody. This is why St. Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek. We are all one in Christ. Christ opened up this new idea. That's why we call it the New Testament. It's not about the history of of people and people coming. But no, it's an opportunity for you to 
to to check in right now. Check in right now with the kingdom. Okay? And now comes April 24th. This Sunday is the day, April 24th, if you have lived outside of reality for a while, you should know that April 24th was the day that the Turkish government rounded up the intellectuals in Istanbul, 1915, and it is officially the day that the genocide is commemorated because of this roundup. It wasn't until about a month later, I believe it was in May, when the Minister of the Interior said that we will kill all Armenians without respect of gender, without respect of age. And not only will we kill them, anybody who defies this order to kill Armenians will be subject to arrest as well. So in other words, it's not enough to kill Armenians, but it becomes the law. This is basically setting up ourselves for the term called genocide. Genocide is different from a war. A war is what you're seeing right now. The Russians invading Ukraine, saying they're they're this way, that way, and the Ukraine's defending themselves, hitting them and saying, no, Russia cannot take these properties. And so you have a conflict, you have a war. In genocide, it is now illegal to not kill these people. In other words, if you're a Turk in 1915, you know that the Turkish government has said that the Armenians must be exterminated. But you are also accountable for that. In other words, you cannot define that, defy that. If you take an Armenian in, then you're going to be subjected to some punishment. If we give you a gun and say, you need to kill Armenians, you need to do that. That's the law. You need to kill them. That's the law. That's the law of the land. And so we talk about genocide in these terms. A systematic program where the government decides that one group of people are not allowed to live there. So April 24th is the day that the Armenian Genocide is commemorated. And we remember that one and a half million people were slaughtered, were killed. One and a half million people were exiled. Quite different than what happened in Nazi Germany. The Armenians were right in their own homeland, on their own territory, and they were exiled. They were forced to go out as refugees from their own homeland and haven't returned since. We've come back to a small little portion called Armenia today, which is a very, very small portion of uh, the historic Armenia but a very small portion also of the lands that we lost in 1915. So April 24th is a day you commemorate and also a day that you protest, that you let people know that something's wrong, that there's been an injustice committed. One and a half million people were slaughtered. You've got a diaspora that's been created because people, unlike the the Jewish Holocaust, these people were living peacefully on their own land and they were exiled to a different uh, different countries throughout the world and the fact that we have a diaspora of course is the proof that this event took place and so um 
April 24th has been that date. And actually, it was like about 60 years ago, 1965, when it was first commemorated publicly. It was shortly thereafter in 1968 that on public property, the first monument ever constructed on public property in memory of the uh, genocide was uh, finished. That was 1968 in Montebello, California. So all these events take place. And uh, you know, there, there's, there used to be a, a time when we'd bring survivors out and they would tell their stories. Now, of course, there are no survivors left. If there are, they, they're frail uh, because of age, dementia, putting in there. But fortunately, there's all kinds of archives. There are, there are thousands of hours of tapes, of videos, of films. Yes, films. Before videos, there were films. And, um, and of course, countless books written by survivors. Okay, so you've got a lot of documentation. But what do you do as far as a world who really could care less? That's the question that I want to bring up right now. Okay, so for the next few minutes, if you can focus on this idea, that somehow Armenians are now being bombarded with their traditional... Um, groups, traditional political parties and churches telling them we have to commemorate, we demand justice. Is there something wrong with that phrase, we demand justice? Who can demand justice? I saw this just a few days ago, an email that was sent out by the Armenian political party saying that write to your congressmen and tell them we demand justice. Now, excuse me for saying this. Who the hell are you to demand justice? Think about it, right? It's just like during the the war in a couple of years ago in Armenia, we were crying out like, "Why are they selling? Why are they selling arms to the uh, to the Azeris?" Right? It all comes down to the reality of the world, right? It's it's money, right? If if Ukraine or even Israel, right, they're getting a few billion dollars for arms. To sell arms, they're going to say, "No, wait, uh, Artsakh is important." No, let's let's get off of that idea. But what I'm going to share with you right now is a way to make that Artsakh important, and that's what I want to share with you today because I presented this in leveraging love, and it's something very important. It is spiritual, it is Christian, and it is the only way that we can react. You see, we don't have the people. There aren't enough people to make the noise. Uh, you need critical mass. For a handful of Armenians, literally on the world stage, it's a handful of Armenians. How do you get people, how do you get superpowers to notice or to care or to do anything? We take out a few uh, thousand people, tens of thousands. Okay, give it benefit of the doubt. Come up to twenty or 30,000 here in Los Angeles that will march on April 24th. When you think about it, it takes place and nobody really seems to care except that they tie up traffic. But this year it'll be on a Sunday so there's very little traffic. They go to the Turkish embassy. The Turks have already declared it a public holiday so there's nobody in the embassy and they make some noise. And what they basically do is they rally the troops. They stand up and they get a a, a stage and they talk to themselves what in the church we call preaching to the choir. You tell Armenians that this horrible thing has happened and you get a few politicians to stand up there who are really 
basically, instead of the billions of dollars, they're thinking about the votes that they could get. And they will make you all kinds of promises that as long as they're mayor, genocide will not take place in their city. Like, okay, like, is, is there any, is there any mayor who can't make that promise, right? But they'll say it. They'll, they'll say all these goofy things. When you think about it, there's no other way to describe it but goofy, you know, like, who are you t- talking these things? And we rally the masses by telling them, we demand justice. When do you demand it? Now. When do we want it? Right now. We want justice. And these are all rhetorical questions and rhetorical answers that are pronounced on April 24th and quickly forgotten on April 25th. That's the reality. That's the reality. And the only thing that you can be certain of is that it'll happen again next year. This year will be the 107th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. That's taking the date Subtract 1915, you got 107 years. Next year, the only certainty is that we'll have the 108th. Instead, what I'm telling you is let's try to do something different. And here's the plan. It's a plan that I've put out. Archimedes, it goes down to science, it goes down to physics. Archimedes says you can lift up the world if you have a letter and a fulcrum placed at the right place, right? And I think you've all experimented with this somewhere in school. And if you haven't, you've probably done it in reality when you've tipped yourself over on a chair or something like that. You know that there's the fulcrum and there's the little bar. So if you've got something very, very heavy, you can put a stick under it and you can push on it and you can lift it depending on where you put that small little fulcrum. The closer to the object, the more leverage you have. And that leverage causes these huge objects, which you possibly cannot pick up, to move. So just think about that. With a fulcrum, you can take something that is impossible to move and move it. Now think about in terms of politically, think about on the world stage. We have something that we want to move. We want to move the fight for justice. We want people to take note of what happened in 1915. Ultimately, we want retribution. We want those lands back. We want, to, to the, at the very least, we want the, the government of Turkey, which is the successors of the Ottoman Empire, to acknowledge it. At the very, very least, Right. But, of course, we understand that in acknowledging there would be then opportunities for retribution and um, compensation and so on and so on. Just much like happened to, to the Jews in Nazi Germany. Afterwards, there was the Nuremberg trials and there was retribution given to them and so on and so on. You want that. okay? Now, how do you get that? Without enough people, without the political power, by leveraging. And the one commodity that we do have that nobody else has, is this Orthodox faith, is a faith that says, I will not leave you alone, is the Armenian Orthodox understanding of the power of love. So think about this. Think about on the world stage, if the Armenians, the small number of Armenians, did I say small? I didn't say small. I said small It is really small. I mean, I think the entire population of Armenia is something like 2 million. 
outside in the diaspora is that supposedly there's about 8 million, but of that 8 million, very few, uh, uh, let's say half of them, let's say half of them identify as Armenians, okay? Talking about 5, 6 million people on the whole planet Earth. Very small. No, excuse me, very small. All right. How do you leverage something? You move the fulcrum. You take a stick long enough and you move the fulcrum to pick up that huge weight. And to move that fulcrum, we don't need to look far away. All you need to do is look at the faith that we have, which can, what Jesus said, move mountains. Wow. You see how it all comes together? You can move mountains if you have the faith of a mustard seed. Ah, how can I do that? How can I move the mountain? If the fulcrum is at the right place and you have the stick long enough. Well, what is that stick? What is that fulcrum? It's our capacity to love. So imagine that. And this is what the challenge has been for us. This is what the Inner Shoes movement is all about. It's about loving. It's about caring. It's about taking what we have and pushing it to the limits. Imagine if we could be out there talking to people who are hurting and sharing our love. You know, we went out to the Ukrainian church the other day and we shared a meal with them. We made a small little contribution. I got people who started writing to me and telling me, don't you know who the Ukrainians are? Don't you know what they're doing? Don't you know that they applauded the Azeris and everything? Yeah, I do know that. I know the Russians did the same thing too. So I don't trust any of them, but I do know that there are some people that are hurting and what's wrong with sitting down and having a meal with them. Yes, and I would with the Russians too. I would, anybody who welcomed me, you know that, okay? But here's the thing. Imagine if instead of all this energy that we put out to walk on the streets and make a lot of protests and talk about negative, if we talked about love, if we talked about having compassion, about helping. So to the point that people looked at us and they pointed to us and say, those are the Armenians that care about people. That's what any shoes has been about. To feel the pain of others. Put our feet in the shoes of others. And in so doing, we understand their pain. It's one thing to love people, but to understand them, it means I'm respecting you for who you are. And so we feed the homeless. And every time somebody asks, why are you doing this? Well, because our people were homeless. It's the action of love. Why are you doing this? Because Jesus commanded me to do this. Oh, you're a Christian? Yes, we are. And now you're starting to build that base. Now you're starting to move that fulcrum closer and closer to your objective, which is to move that huge, huge weight. Move the general consensus to understand that what happened in 1915 by the Turks was not against Armenians, but against humanity. And because we are the examples of humanity, of helping others, of caring for others, of loving and nurturing. So we are no longer a small group, but we are part of the entire, the entire collective of the planet who has seen all kinds of persecutions and difficulties. And we Armenians can attest to that. We bring in our own story. 
But we bring it not with the challenge or not with the demand on it. Like, hey, look at our story. You guys owe. Because in reality, nobody owes us anything. If anything, American can look at you and say, well, wait a minute. Didn't we open the door for you guys? Wait a minute. Didn't we allow you to come into this country? Didn't we accept you? It's the same question that God asks us, right? When we complain about our lives and things that are going on, he says, well, wait a minute. Didn't I give you life? Didn't I give you everything you need? And so what's the problem here? And once you could get to that point, you understand that, uh-huh, I have something very powerful. I have something more, very pow- more powerful than the war and uh, the, than the, the tools of war. I have the power of love, which can move mountains. I have my Christian faith, which is moving that fulcrum right to the spot where with all the love and pressure we put on the stick, we can move the mountains that are in front of us. Namely, we can move the political climate. We can, we can move the world consensus to understand as what Gladstone said, to serve Armenia is to serve civilization. Think about that. To serve Armenia is to serve civilization. Now you've got people. Now you've got people because you are doing the right thing. You are serving. You are an agent of change. And in changing, you are changing the consensus. You are changing people. Now we can stand up, not with a demand, but in all righteousness and say, hey, look, we're doing something. We have a past that is filled with blood and we don't want to see blood being shed today. We are those agents of change. And please take note of it. Leveraging love. Yeah, leveraging love. Actually, it's it's a video that I made back, I think it was in 2009, when I gave this lecture at Glendale City College. I am going to invite you to take a look at it. I'll have a link on today's show notes. And I'll invite you to share it with people because I do really, I'm proud of it. And I truly believe that it is the first time that we are actually taking the Armenian question. In other words, what do we do with the the Armenian people and, and the lands and so on? Taking the questions away from the rhetorical and moving it to the to the realistic. It's a real way of leveraging and changing the way we start thinking about problems and resolving them. Okay? I know, I know. The pianist is here. I think he's here. He's carrying that big piano on his back. Yeah, it must be him. I'll be back in a couple moments. Here's Susie. Before getting back to the next step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The next step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. 
By pressing on the donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations, either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the next step with Father Vosgen. Thank you, Susie, and thank you, all of you, for all of your love supports. Hey, the newest addition to the Apostle family came out just a couple days ago. It is on TikTok. It is called The Elevator Priest. If you haven't seen it, I invite you to get on TikTok and watch it. It is a new series that has just started, The Elevator Priest. Ask questions to the elevator priest, and he will answer them by the time it takes you to get to your floor. I mean, how convenient. <laughs> and it's available. It's the newest addition to our Apostle family. I'm very proud of it. hope you'll check it out and love to hear from you. And I want to thank you for your continued prayer and support for this podcast, for our ministry. It's through that support, through those prayers, that we are able to expand it. Yes, expanding the expandable, Epostle. That's Apostle with an E. Epostle.net. Apostolic Evangelism for an Electronic and Expanding Universe. Okay, there you have it. Thank you, Sarkis. Yeah, see? He says it better than I do. Listen, this weekend we're going to do something positive at the St. Leon's of Potsrevontian's Armenian Cathedral. His Eminence Archbishop Hovnan is going to be uh, baptizing people on April 24th. How novel is that? Remember what I told you when they said there would be only one Armenian left? Remember how we started today's podcast? Okay, now think about it. Think about the real miracle. Not only are we here, but we are producing new Christians. He's going to be baptizing during the service. Actually, I'm going to invite you to watch this. This is this will be streamed on Facebook. This is the way baptisms and actually the sacraments would take place. It was in the context of the divine liturgy. So just a beautiful opportunity. And look at the way things line up and coincide. What we're going to be doing is, of course, the baptism inside the divine liturgy means that we read the gospel passage and then in, instead of during the baptism ceremony, we'll read the passage of the day. And it turns out the passage of the day coincides with the baptism gospel. It is from John, the, the, from the uh, gospel of John. Perfect. I mean, you know, some things just work out so nicely. Anyway, that will take place Sunday morning and, of course, uh, 10.30 Pacific time. I invite you to join us for that one. A lot of good things happening, and we invite you to mothershipinhisshoes.org. And I've been teasing you, telling you some new stuff is happening. It is happening, but not ready, not quite ready to announce it. But I think when you see the TikTok, the Epostle, you've got it. Epostle.net. Apostolic Evangelism for an Electronic and Expanding Universe. Okay, that's about the clue that I'm going to give you. On behalf of the wonderful team who put today's show together, Susie, our producer, and myself, Father Voskin, I look forward to seeing you again next week when we will take the next step.
And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. Demandment and production crew vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience not valid with any other offer I forgot to ask you if uh, you you're seeing the same sky as we are uh.